Hi, this is Mo. And this is Sarah, and you're listening to the podcast, Bird Shit. We started this podcast to share our love of birding with other enthusiastic birders in the world. So we are going to start this episode by doing a huge, amazing, warm hug, soft, cozy shout out to our supporting fans who have given us money on Ko-Fi. This includes Hans, Eric, Jamie, Ezra, Jude, and Paul from Varmint's podcast, Dave, Helen, and just so many wonderful people. We want to thank you so, so much. Also, Leaf, who paid for a freaking entire episode. Maybe we should just dedicate an episode to you. Leaf, send us facts about yourself and we'll just talk about you for an entire episode. We'll just pretend he's a bird and we'll make up a whole episode about Leaf facts. Yes, just send us what you want us to talk about. And we want to say thank you again. And if you can, please continue to support this shit. If you want to, please visit ko-fi.com slash birdshitpodcast, or you can find the link on our Insta and Twitter accounts. We promise to keep bringing you this desirable content that you crave about birds and our boring, weird-ass lives with these donations. So thanks, everyone. Yee! We have a very exciting episode for you today. We will be talking to Taiki and Sharon from the Audubon Society about the Audubon Union and more about the Audubon for All movement. But before we get into that, we wanted to take some time to talk about some listener responses that we got on Instagram. Uh, A few weeks ago, we did a little what bird would you be question on Instagram. And this mostly came because I was you know, up too late and I was sleep deprived and I texted Sarah about what bird she would want to be. And then we ended up having a conversation about it. Uh, If you're not yet following us on Instagram, you can follow us at Birdship Podcast to answer future questions that we might have and get your answer on the air. Such a desirable thing. Uh, Sarah, what bird would you want to be? So as you know, Mo, I already have a tattoo of this bird and I would be a barn owl. First of all, there are lots of barns to live in. So perfect many housing opportunities, unlike the current housing market right now. Oh my God. They're gorgeous. They look like they have little galaxies in their feathers, which is amazing. And also that is very I'm, poetic. It's super true. Like if you look at their like feathery, starry, dusty feathers, it, they're so pretty. And they have like creepy ass faces. Not going to lie. Like very most owls, creepy yes. faces. And I love it. So yeah, I would be a barn owl. Love it. What would you be? I would be an American white pelican. I get to live by the ocean, which I really am enjoying so far. Uh, I love that you could win, like, how many marshmallows can you fit in your mouth contests? So win. Yeah. I mean, that's pretty much it. But also just, like, fresh fish every night. It's kind of a cool thing. And you're not as hated as gulls, which is also a perk. There you go. We had some really great listener responses to this question. People were like all over the board with this. Some people took it like very seriously, like personal reflections as to like who they are as humans <laughs> and like how that would be expressed as a trait in a bird. Other people were just like, I love this bird and I want to be this bird. So Ari at the main Ari, he responded that he would be a common raven because they have dope family dynamics and are super intelligent. Theo, who is on Instagram as at wind and wing, also wants to be a raven because he says they are baller, beasts, Creative, incredible flyers, and all around badasses, which is true. I mean, all these things are true about ravens. Oh, yeah. Matthew at the bird herder, he, he said he wants to be a chimney swift because he already looks like he came out of a chimney and he's always wanted a cockney accent. 
<laughs> so I guess he's like just imagining that he's in Mary Poppins, which is great. <laughs> okay, what do what does it mean when you say you look like you came out of a chimney? Like, are you just covered in dirt all the time, or are you shaped like a giant long square? <laughs> I love it. I look like I came out of a chimney because I'm elongated and square. <laughs> yeah, that's a. I'm assuming. I mean, I really hope that it's just like he happens to live in like a very sooty environment. Maybe he lives by a bunch of wildfires. I don't know. Maybe maybe he is secretly a chimney sweep in his spare time. He is. He actually was in the uh, Mary Poppins reboot as just the chimney swift that shows up once. But I don't even know if that's true because I haven't seen it. I've never seen it. I've never seen the original Mary Poppins. All I know is that song about a spoonful of sugar making the medicine go down. And I think that's genius. Yeah. I I can't believe you've never seen Mary Poppins. No. What? Yeah. Uh, All right, guys. On second thought, this podcast is canceled. I don't know how to deal with this new information. I'm not saying I'm like hardcore Mary Poppins, but like Julie Andrews, come on. Okay, that's what I was going to say. It's not like you've ever confessed your love of Mary Poppins to me and now I'm offending you and I've been lying to you the entire time that I've never seen it. But if there was one thing that would offend me at the break of our friendship, it's definitely not the fact that you haven't seen Mary Poppins. It's more disbelief, I would say. Yeah, that that there's probably a lot of movies I haven't seen that everyone's like, oh yeah, you should see this movie. But then I've seen all these stupid, obscure movies. Not stupid, but like very random movies. Oh, Oh, I know your movies. I remember yeah. being exposed to a lot of movies while I was with you in college, including Sophie's Choice. So gotta love a good Holocaust movie. Yep. And also um, Deer Hunter, which yep. like could have used a little bit of a disclaimer oh. about what that was going to be about. And that one, The Boy in the Striped Pajamas, another Holocaust movie that I made you see in theaters and you yep. were super pissed at me. I was super pissed at you. I was like, oh, they're having a sleepover. And you were like, JK, it's a Holocaust movie. I, you know what? This is partially, this is partially my fault because I don't do my research before seeing movies ever. And so I was like, oh, okay. Babysitter's Club. I don't know what, what this is going to be about. Yeah. You were like, I can't see an emotional movie. And I was like, well, let's go see this movie. The worst possible movie to take you to. I mean, that's true. I can't watch emotional movies like after 6 p.m like count me out i won't sleep okay this is a bad tangent yep maybe this is maybe your motivation to see mary poppins because of the chimney swift so there we go thanks matthew for finally bringing this exposing this secret deep into uh into the episode uh at jeep and birder i love this personal reflection too at jeep and birder wants to be a carolina wren because she is quote short loud as fuck and a spaz relatable Yes, that is very relatable. Sebastian at Urban Bird Eco wants to be an email to say he won a war against humans, which we discussed in a previous episode, which is awesome. And uh, Nora the Explorer 13 wants to be a cassowary because they are beautiful, but they can seriously mess you up. Love it. Great. Um, from the Birds of Prey area, Will, and then at Will at Will Outdoors 4, chose to be a golden eagle so they could fly to their house and get on their own life list. Very strategic. I do love that. It's like, uh, I need to be a bird that I haven't seen before so I can get on my own life list. It's very forward thinking. Um, there's also Hunter at Hunter Woodson who wants to be a loggerhead shrike because they have a badass mask, they feast on kebabs, and they also have badass hunting skills, which is so true. And then Eric at EJ Spink 
also wants to be a shrike because they look like a handsome and harmless bird song, but they're pretty damn savage in reality. And who doesn't want to look happy and harmless, but be really savage? I mean, that is the goal, isn't it? Yeah, that's the goal. Fool everybody, goal. but actually be like a stealth hunter. That's like, yeah, that I think that's like an assassin goal. I'm here for it. Or a spy goal. I'm yeah. here for it. Uh, there were some other birds of the sea to make the list, which I was very happy about. Uh, our friend Griffin, who joined us on an early, early episode of Bird Shit to talk about binoculars, he said he wants to be a kill deer, saying that they have skinny legs, cool stripes, and are coastal, but don't make a big deal about it. Humble brag. That is so true. They also choose very poor spots to lay their eggs. I mean, what shorebird doesn't these days? Like, yeah, no true. one's told shorebirds that global warming is a reality and like they're kind of fucked, but they're figuring it out. They'll get that memo soon. They will. And lastly, a shout out to Aunt Raina Tillman and Dan at The Real Love 82 for wanting to be pigeons. Raina loves free food and a lot of people find her annoying. We do not, but that is a good reason to want to be a pigeon. And Dan just wants to poop on humans, which actually, that's, yeah, that sounds great. You could also be a baby and do that because that happened to me when we were moving. Oh, you got the baby poop. Yeah, she pooped all over me. Awesome. It was great. It was great. So yeah, pigeons and babies have a lot in common, apparently. Mm, I think I'd rather be a pigeon. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Yeah. Opt for pigeon. So thank you everyone for submitting your answers. I know there are a bunch of people we didn't get to, but uh, we love seeing what everybody said. There are some really great answers in there. And hopefully we'll have more questions in the future to share online. Online Ooh. is not the right word. To share on the air, which is the internet. Are we on the air? Uh, we're on the internet air. We're on the cloud. To share on the cloud. Share on the cloud. The future. The future. The, future, the cloud. We're so okay. high tech. Um, we're going to switch gears now and talk about uh, Black and Latinx birders scholarship. So Tyke James, who we'll be hearing from later on in this episode, is on the committee Amplify the Future. And from this committee, they see if you're a Black birder or brown birder that lives in the United States or Puerto Rico and identifies as Black, African-American and or Latinx, and our undergraduate student studying in STEM, you should apply for the annual Black and Latinx Birders Scholarship. So the details can be found on their Instagram at Birders Fund or at AmplifyTheFuture.org. The deadline has been extended to July 18th, so get out there and apply. Here is some info from uh, Taiki himself on this scholarship. I'm Orieta Estrada. I'm Taiki James. We are the co-founders of Amplify the Future and the co-chairs of the Black and Latin Experters Scholarship Fund. And we have a special announcement for you. I need the attention of all Black and Latinx folks with the love for birds. If you're currently a full-time undergraduate student and you live in or attend a college or university in the United States or Puerto Rico, you should apply today to the Black and Latinx Birder Scholarship at AmplifyTheFuture.org. June 18th is the deadline, and it's right around the corner. But we're offering an extension to those who need a little extra time to get in their supporting documentation. That deadline is July 18th. This is what we're asking for. A two-page essay, two-minute video, or even a good Twitter thread. We have at least three scholarships to give this year. The Burden community wants to support you. Just let us know you and how you plan to help your Burden communities. This is open to undergraduates 18 years and older. This isn't just a scholarship for younger students. Higher ed happens at any age. To see specific rules and apply, please go to amplifythefuture.org. That's amplifythefuture.org. Have questions? 
Email hello at amplifythefuture.org. Or follow us on social media at Birders Fund. Not a potential applicant, but want to support us? Visit amplifythefuture.org. We can't wait to hear from you. When the Bird Names for Birds movement started in early 2020, the Audubon Society sort of flew under the radar for quite some time. Maybe it's because only three birds, the Audubon Warbler, Audubon Shearwater, and Audubon's Oriole, are the ones that are officially named after John James Audubon. Or maybe it's because the Audubon Society itself is so intrinsically tied to bird conservation and protecting birds around the nation that its namesake's dark history was initially glossed over. Whatever the case may be, the Audubon Society is now front and center of a lot of important conversations taking place in the bird world. Many of these conversations are focused on race, inclusivity, and equality, both in the workplace and the great outdoors. The biggest news that's come out of the Audubon Society lately is that the majority of Audubon's employees have declared that they want to form a union to protect employees' rights and have a seat at the table for key discussions at the organization, which you will hear a lot about in this interview. But sadly, they have run into some issues with the executive leadership at Audubon and have not formally had their union recognized by the organization. It is some serious shit, guys, and we're going to get into it in this interview. The employees within Audubon have formed a group called Audubon for All, which is the name that they've officially given the cause for forming a staff union at the Audubon Society. We are so excited to have today's guests here to tell us more about the Audubon for All movement, a little bit of information about them. So joining us today, we have Sharon Bruce. Sharon is a communications manager for Audubon, Connecticut and Audubon, New York, two state offices of the National Audubon Society. She is a novice birder and an expert chocolate chip cookie baker. So pretty much my best friend. Sorry, Sarah. (laughs) That's a pretty good attribute to have in a best friend, not going to lie. And we also have joining us today, Taiki James. Taiki is a government affairs coordinator for the National Audubon Society and works in D.C. organizing bird walks with members of Congress and congressional staff. So since this interview was just conducted by me, Sarah had many baby things to attend to. So I was the only one conducting the interview. But let's get into it. Um, I would like to add here that oh, yeah. I am so sad that I missed this interview. Oh. Um, I'm very pro-union and I very much support the efforts um, of the Audubon employees to create their union. So I'm very sad that I missed this, but a huge shout out to Mo for taking this on while I handled mini baby and universe things. So thank you, Mo, for being the best. Aw, you're the best. Okay. Okay. Roll the clip. (laughs) Roll the clip. Roll the clip. Taiki, Sharon, welcome so much to Bird Shit Podcast. Uh, I am very sorry that Sarah is not here to join us, but I'm very, very excited to talk to both of you about Audit Bond for All and the union you guys are forming. Um, I'm using that in a very uh, optimistic, forward-facing, you are forming it, despite some of the setbacks I know you guys have had. Um, Can you guys just tell me a little bit about yourselves and what brought you to this cause? Sharon. (laughs) I am the communications manager for two Audubon state offices, Connecticut and New York. Um, And I have a bit of experience with organizing. I used to work at an organization called the Freelancers Union, which was not even an actual union, but acted like one in that it brought freelancers from around the country together to give them power to be able to access better Healthcare benefits and other and other things, and 
So I think that really opened my eyes to the to what can happen when when individuals get together and create this incredible dynamic of power as as one group. And when I heard about my fellow colleagues thinking this through at Audubon, I just thought, this is great. There are so many people at Audubon who work on the ground, who have not gotten a raise in so many years, who have not gotten the attention that they deserve. They're the ones protecting birds in the places that they need. We need to give them more power. Awesome. Love it. So glad you're here. Taiki, a little bit of your, I know you have a long list of things that you have been involved with in the birding community. (laughs) Give us the cliff notes, maybe. Uh, Well, uh, happy to be here. Great to talk to you again. I like to summarize all of my doings in the birding community as a lifelong effort in staying out of trouble. Um, But I'm here to talk about some good trouble with Sharon. Uh, Happy that I work with folks uh, like her who want to have an empowered workplace because good work needs a good workplace. You know, I think there's a lot of great work happening at the National Audubon Society, um, a lot of great work happening in an environmental movement. Uh, but one thing that we're seeing and one thing that's important to recognize is as much as the effort is going into uh, you know, folks in the environmental movement addressing the exploitation of natural resources, we are overlooking the exploitation of the humans in 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 those efforts. And we're we're aware of that in a lot of ways. I mean, at Audubon, there were two rounds of layoffs last year. And yeah, coronavirus was hard and and there were reasonable cost-saving measures that I think, if considered, could have saved some jobs. And we were shut out completely, didn't save a job. And um, I remember specifically our, our CEO at the time saying, if we freeze pay for executives, that will lower morale and they'll leave. And it's much harder to rehire at that level. Well, a lot of them left anyway, <laughs> you know, a lot of them <laughs> for their own reasons. And I'm happy for a lot of them, you know, um, but a lot of them left including him. So it's like, w- did we save money in, 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 in those milestones? I don't, I don't think so. I mean, if someone offered me a, a high paying job to sit in an office and save birds, like I'm pretty sure I would take that job. Like, <laughs> I don't think it's going to be that hard to fill. <laughs> you know, I, yeah, I don't know how it works at that level. And that that's part of the issue. We don't have a seat at the table. You know, we're over here looking at crumbs. We're over here hearing whispers. We don't, truly know what is happening. And I think that not only if we know better, we do better, but the next chapter of the National Audubon Society is going to be written with the workers. Awesome. Yeah. And I know unions have been, they're not new, but they are in the news a lot lately. No thanks to Amazon for most things, but maybe thanks to them for that one particular thing. Um, And I know you guys are looking to unionize, but I, I think you've touched on like some of the the key reasons that maybe have been more recent, but I feel like a lot of these issues leading you to form a union have been present for a while. Yes. (laughs) One of the incredible things that has happened at Audubon over the last couple of years is, has been the creation of affinity groups and working groups that have been doing a tremendous amount of unpaid work, extra time, extra work put in to make Audubon a better place. 
And I think our union and our formation was a natural next step because what a union provides is the ability to put all of the amazing work and ideas that everyone at Audubon is coming up with into a legally binding contract. That is really what we are looking for at the end of the day is all of this work is happening. People deserve recognition for it. They deserve to get paid for it. And they deserve to know that the hard work that they're putting in is not going to go away just at the whim of a new executive, a new VP who wants maybe not even to, you know, push it away completely, but wants a slightly different iteration or wants to do more serving or wants to do, you know, more listening sessions before the work gets done. What a union does is it makes everything legally binding. That's the best case scenario. Absolutely. Absolutely. And uh, I love that you mentioned the affinity groups. I I had a role in helping uh, create one for the people of color. And my number one issue has been how much progress can we push for before they push me out? (laughs) You know, like we have folks who are sticking their necks out to attain some type of progress to secure some type of achievement for marginalized peoples in the organization. But you feel like you're risking your job to do it, you know, and I think having job security makes a significant difference when we can agree to what are reasonable reasons to lose your job? <laughs> what What is reasonable for termination? Like if we can agree to that, we're not worried about speaking out, making folks uncomfortable because we're talking about liberation. Ultimately, you know, we're talking about upending the power imbalance like that firing workers or or folks feeling threatened of termination perpetuates that imbalance and a union is seeking to our union especially is seeking to show that we want to co-create this future at Audubon you know that this is not to um, threaten or to insult management at all like we are just asking to be recognized in our efforts that have organized uh, a strong majority of workers at Audubon to get to the bargaining table. Yeah, and you would hope that the kind of role that the Audubon Society plays in the birding community, you would hope that they would want to be at the forefront of that kind of movement. I mean, you can see even with the Birds Names for Birds movement, the way the American Ornithological Society has just been shit on constantly <laughs> because they're like not taking the steps forward that so many people are asking them to take. It's like you you would hope that Audubon would look at that and say like, oh, this is exactly the kind of organization we don't want to become. Uh, but it doesn't seem like leadership has reacted very kindly to your efforts to form a union, if I'm reading things correctly. I know your CEO has stepped down, for instance. Uh, I know you had mentioned that the organization as a whole has taken a neutrality stance. And I think they also hired like a law firm that's pretty, has a reputation for being uh, very good at disbanding unions. So despite how loud and the majority of people at your organization that seem to want this, you're still getting that pushback from your leadership. And this is not also to make you guys stick your necks out even further and (laughs) just to have them chopped off. Like I understand you're also in a tricky state, but like, damn, like that really sucks. 
Well, I, I don't feel any fear of sticking my neck out when I'm with my folks from Audubon for All. So, you know, how I felt before, feeling very different now. And to speak to, you know, part of the reason that I'm seeing that I think everyone kind of knows but doesn't want to speak to why David Yarnold left is because the Morgan Lewis report. And the Morgan Lewis report came out with the several recommendations, all recommendations that can be helped by a union, you know, uh, with with the first one being changes in leadership and structure. You know, I, I like the idea that the future of Audubon means we no longer need to rely on one or a few leaders to set the tone and build culture. You know, I, I would like to think that we can redistribute some of the power from the very top over the executive team, Mount Olympus, as I like to call it, to the workers in the entire network. Yeah, absolutely. I know uh, I was talking to a friend about their organization and they're in like, you know, tech startup world. And the CEO had said that that they think that culture is something that is built by the organization. And it's like, that's cool, except your organization is just like a bunch of white dudes. Like, <laughs> if you just let a bunch of white dudes build the culture, you're not actually going to have much of a culture that's inclusive and diverse and welcomes the voices of everybody. Like, at a certain point, you do need leadership to step in and say, like, okay, like, we want to create a space where everyone feels they have a voice and as much as there can be a lot of movements happening at the, at the ground floor, but unless you've got that support and that elevation from the top too, it's like, you need those people to, to contribute. Uh, I know you guys have, despite a lot of these step backs, you have had some good strides since your formation back in March of 2021. Um, Senator Ed Markey recently counted your union cards and confirmed a majority of eligible Audubon staff have voted in favor of the bird union. So that's really cool. What do you guys see as the next steps from there? I see everyone on Twitter and around the world calling us the bird union. So great. <laughs> um, that, that moment of Ed Markey announcing that we had a majority was so uplifting and incredible. And what should come next is that Audubon's management should voluntarily recognize our union and our majority. But uh, unfortunately, that is not what's happening. Um, you know, the, the process of gathering cards, meaning people, either they say, yes, I want a union, or they decline to vote, is about as democratic of a process as it gets, right? That's like what a popular election would look like in America. Either you go and you vote or you stay home and you don't, you know, put in for, for that process. And that is what our process looked like. And unfortunately, management is uh, pushing for a national labor relations board vote, which would be a, a mail-in process. Really, the issue is, is that they are claiming to be neutral to whether or not employees decide that they want a union, but they are also going around making unilateral decisions on how we achieve that union. We have already done it. Ed Markey has already counted our cards and he is a third party, right? Completely separate from Audubon and the union members. So we are next looking for Audubon to just voluntarily recognize us. And, and I want to add that uh, we do have 
a growing uh, support from members of Congress. U.S. Senator Ed Markey, incredible to have. He's a strong voice on climate and understands that uh, the challenges of the climate crisis means we have to address the challenges in the labor movement. You know, he sees that connection. We also have the chair of the House Transportation and Infrastructure Committee, who also understands that as well. We're building climate resilience. We're building job resilience too. And and you know, he even offered to <laughs> double check if 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 needed for those cards because you know we we got to understand the environmental movement is moving forward with this combination, this this intersectionality of labor. Absolutely. Well, first of all, this is like a sidebar, but like Taiki, I'm curious if you've taken Ed Markey on a bird walk on the hill. <laughs> you know, I haven't made my way to Massachusetts in a really long time, um, but I, I think that would be something he'd be interested in. I'll, I'll probably yeah, reach out. Yeah, I to think him. that'd be cool. All right, sidebar, but okay. Mm-hmm. If Audubon doesn't voluntarily recognize your union, do you end up at like a standstill? Is it become like a turf war situation? Like. What exactly is the result of that? Like, are you guys just stalled or are there further steps that you can take to basically like find a way to make this happen? There are definitely further steps that we can take. Audubon has an opportunity at any moment to agree to voluntary recognition. This is this. We are not on a single pathway at any point in time. Right now, we continue to build power. We have had chapters come out in support of our union. Thank you, North Carolina in particular. (laughs) We have had, we have had famous birders come out in support of our union. Thank you, Ken Kaufman. Thank you, Corinna Newsom. We have just had this incredible display of support. We have had 10,000 individuals sign a petition asking Audubon to voluntarily recognize our union. I mean, It's amazing what is happening in the interim. So, no, there's no single way to get recognized. We can come to the table and agree on a best fit way. We just are waiting for management to meet us there. I think it's worth adding that most unions in the United States happen through voluntary recognition. And the ones that that hold out, the ones that, that don't follow that route, well you can kind of trace where their motivations may be coming from when they hire Littler Middleson, uh, which is the biggest union busting law firm in the world. They probably get a lot of promotions from us, but people got to know the truth. (laughs) You can go to their website and you can see, you know, almost phrase for phrase what they have on their website and what we've seen in all staff emails. Yeah. Yeah. That's shocking. And, And just being very far on the outside, like watching Audubon's leadership response to this, and learning a lot more through all the content that's been being shared about the disparity between wages and power at this organization. It's been super disheartening. Uh, I know for me, at least, I'm not, I don't come from a nonprofit world, but it's really shown me this really ugly side of nonprofit management and fund distributions. Like you think about all the educational programs that like I see people taking advantage, not taking advantage of, that's not the right word, but I've seen like people using uh, that, that are provided by Audubon, like all of these services that are out there for the people. And then you hear about David Arnold getting a $500,000 bonus and all these other people are losing their jobs. Like, I think, you know, when people start thinking about like where to put their money, I think the instinct is like, well, why the fuck would I give money to Audubon? Because they're doing all this shady stuff. But then it's also like, 
but if I don't give money to Audubon, like what about all these great programs that I use? So <laughs> if, if you guys were to form the union, like how you guys would have a seat at the table to basically be able to have a better say in how funds are used or like how power is distributed, like what would be the, the ultimate goal? Obviously, you guys are looking to protect all of your coworkers that work so hard, but would you also have a say in making sure that like those kinds of things don't happen? And, and people are able to not choose where their money goes, but have a better feeling of, of what they're donating towards. So I have a coworker who had, who started with Audubon at a center, like just going to events, going to camp events there when he was something like eight, nine, 10 years old. And it was at an Audubon Center that he met his idol, who was an educator there. And the next thing you know, he's interning there, he's volunteering, and then he gets hired as an educator himself and gets to work with his mentor. That is the kind of person that you get at Audubon. It is people who are so super unbelievably forever and ever dedicated to their job. Audubon is the be-all and end-all place where they want to work. Now, that is incredible. And that is the reason why you should donate to Audubon, right? Unfortunately, it also puts the people in power with more power because people are just desperate, right, to work here. They just see it as the best job that they could possibly have. And, you know, in many ways it is. They get to live out this love for birds in their everyday life. Now, Everyone at Audubon has these incredibly different experiences, and that's what we want to see at the bargaining table. Taiki's out doing bird walks with lawmakers. I'm behind the computer talking to all our members on Instagram, on Facebook. You know, I'm getting the emails. What's this bird? I have to ask our scientists. We've got the educators on the ground in schools, at summer camps. I mean, it just boggles my mind how awesome it could be if all these different folks come to the bargaining table together, just the incredible amount of ideas that could come out of such a process. And the great thing about forming a union is that it gives us power to ask management to open the books. It creates transparency in the organization out of necessity. And that, I think, is a really beautiful thing. Imagine all of these different minds and all of these different experiences looking at the finances together and coming up with equally brilliant ways to, for instance, not have two rounds of layoffs during COVID, yeah. one of which yeah. oh, was yeah. on Earth Day. You know what I'm saying? What a cool thing. Yeah. And, and I think it doesn't seem to be um, specific to to nonprofits either. Like the the amount of like hush-hush that goes around or about like salaries and like what you're making compared to your peers. Like nobody wants you talking about that stuff because as soon as you do, you realize how fucked up it all is. And you're like, wait a second, this person's, you know, we have the same job title and we're making like significantly different salaries. Like, why is that the case? That shouldn't be the case. Oh, you found out what your manager is making and like, and all they do is like sit there and like make everything miserable. So I, I think it's a big problem in any organization that there's so much um, lack of transparency around finances. Yeah, you're right. Like if you're an organization that everybody wants to work at because everyone's so passionate about the cause and the mission, 
the way that people can exploit that and take advantage of passion and <laughs> pay people poorly or make them feel like they're constantly walking on eggshells is like, that's really a tough place to be. And I think you kind of hinted about this a little bit earlier with the emails to Taiki, but the discrepancy that is often seen between what PR teams are spewing and the realities of what people are experiencing every day in an organization, which is not, I mean, obviously your Instagram feed is great, Sharon, obviously (laughs) those messages are good, but the kinds of responses that you see that just seem like so canned and so repetitive and so, um, you know, neutral for lack of a better word, like it sucks when you see that stuff and you work at a place and you're just like, are you kidding me? Like (laughs) there's so much going on behind the scenes that we just wish people could see and know about. And I think you guys have done a great job bringing so many people into what it's like to be at Audubon right now. And um, I'm glad that you guys have such a strong coalition to be able to attack this as a team because it would be really hard and scary from what I understand to do it as an individual. I'm curious how, because of the way the whole structure is, is set up in all these different places across the country, how did the union sort of start being discussed? Like how, how did you, how were you able to find partners and companions to like help you guys make this a larger movement within the organization? A lot of one-on-ones. You know, we have Slack, we have cell phones, we got internet, uh, social media, and it's it's not unobvious what is happening in the organization if we're talking to each other and we're like, what is happening? What choices do we have? What can we do next? And for me, those questions became really prominent um, to answer when our chief equity, diversity, and inclusion officer Dion Ferris at the time, last March, pushed out, let go, not sure, lack of transparency. And then the similar thing happened down the road with uh, Devon Trotter, who, who was a senior specialist, did great in that role. And me seeing the lack of investment and seeing how leadership reacts almost threatened by progress and by the mission even of equity, diversity, and inclusion, that office, you know, made me think we, if this is how they react to this kind of progress, well, we need to find a way to get this in a contract because clearly good personalities and good relationships only go so far. You know, we need good policies. We need a good contract. You know, I think that this organization requires to fully execute our mission we need to invest in EDI. We need a competent HR and we need an empowered workforce. And I don't know why Audubon thinks that two of those three or even one of those three is acceptable. Yeah, absolutely. Sharon, I couldn't tell if I did you have something to add there? I have so many thoughts. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'm here for thoughts. I mean, I think about if I was being interviewed in the future for another job, how thrilled I would be to talk about this unionizing effort, even though I know that unions can be a touchy subject, but what I think is absolutely incredible about this effort is 
how much I have learned and how much those learnings can translate into all of the work that I do. And even at Audubon, everything that I've learned participating in the union, I can transfer to Audubon to make Audubon a better place. I have learned how to work alongside, you know, 20 to 100 colleagues trying to decide on next steps for what's best for our union. I have learned how to advocate for myself and for others. Advocating for yourself is very difficult when you don't know the circumstances around you, meaning if you work in an organization that isn't very transparent, how do you know whether you can advocate for a salary increase or you know, for a, for a better job title, more, uh, you know, more opportunity when you don't have a job description to work from. There is so much that we can empower individuals at our organization to do for themselves and for the greater collective through a union. And everything that our organizing committee and that our card signers are learning just through this process alone is is going to only make Audubon better at the end of the day when we're recognized. Yeah, absolutely. That's fantastic. I know um, there are a lot of other nonprofits that are also unionized. Have you guys seen, I mean, you're being recognized as the bird union on Twitter across the world, which is great. Have you guys seen other trickle-down effects of your work and your impact at other nonprofits, whether through the birding community or maybe other nonprofit causes? Have you had people reach out and say like, hey, I'm thinking about doing this. Can you like point me in the right direction? Um, Like what kinds of other ripple effects have you seen? Well, I, I will say this. The uh, discontinuity between what the organization's stated values are and employee experiences are more important than ever to be publicized. And, you know, I think reporters, uh, you know, deserve a great kudos on finding these stories, talking to employees and getting the word out about these things. We are, I think, part of this greater movement, this greater blue-green alliance. I know that that actually exists as an organization, but I, I would also look at the Progressive Workers Union um, as you know an example working with Sierra Club, unionizing them in that scope of environmental organizations, the Sunrise Movement, Greenpeace, 350.org, ACLU. You know, like it is something that you know is, is is deeply disappointing but we can do something about if the stated values of the organizations don't reflect em- employee or worker experience i think it continues i mean i'm fairly new to the birding community i think i've been birding for like four years now maybe five years and it it just continues to be so sad to see um these these really like the pillars of the burning community in like a traditional sense, be so resistant to these kinds of changes. And, and it could be, it could be as even like a local chapter that's like not doing what they can to be inclusive to all different kinds of people or all different kinds of income levels, or, you know, something as high at the top as the Audubon society still kind of stuck in the dark ages of being so not welcoming and not progressive, uh, I don't know. I, I hope that 
I hope that people look at what you're doing and see it as uh, an example of what birding could be and what birding should be. And if leadership continues to not see that, <laughs> definitely not the employees of Audubon's fault. Like <laughs> you guys are doing everything you possibly can to, to bring these issues to the table, give them a path to change. And if they don't take it, like if they become obsolete, it's certainly not at the fault of the people that are working so hard to make it the place that people still want to be and still want to work at. Yeah. Feel free. No comment. I get it, but <laughs> I'm just here to just like, I, I don't know. I, I think that there's so many important things taking place in the world right now. And it's like, if you're not on, if you're not on the right side of it, then people just assume that you're on the wrong side and that's not a good place to be. We've seen a lot of, of organizations for profit and nonprofit unionizing lately. And it is definitely, I would say a thing of the future, you know, it's a reflection of the political climate right now. It is a reflection of disparity in wages of, of inequality in workplaces. And it is a reflection of employees wanting to see something different for themselves in their workplaces. Even at Audubon, internally, our union has already created change. Management has announced various types of changes, everything from David Yarnold leaving to the establishment of a new pay structure coming out soon. You can't tell me that a group of employees, a majority of eligible employees getting together to ask for power had nothing to do with these changes that we're seeing already. Yeah, preach. I mean, we have a union already. A majority Mm -hmm. of eligible workers have already said, we have a union, right? It's just a matter of getting that recognition and getting the changes that we want to see into a legally binding contract at this point. Yeah. Absolutely. It sounds like you guys are working with, uh, is it a firm technically that's helping you kind of, um, along some of these stepping stones or how does it work? Cause you're not, you're working with a larger union organization as I understand it. We're actually working with another nonprofit. Oh, cool. Yeah. Communication workers of America is a nonprofit that is member led and the dues that we would pay after we sign our contract all go towards membership you know, which is us because it's a nonprofit and they represent a diversity of nonprofits, Red Cross, Open Society Foundation, Sunrise, Amnesty, Human Rights Watch um, and and Glitch. Glitch, I don't know if you're familiar, but they are the folks that have this neat digital thing. You know, I'm, I'm far from understanding exactly how it all works, but it looks cool. And I'll be sure to send you a link because that's one of the ways that we've been able to communicate our messaging and what actually a union is and how it can help Audubon during these times, because management doesn't want us on an all staff call. Management doesn't want us on an all staff email. And we've asked for that. We asked for some type of, okay, we can, you know, we can find a way to make this work. But most of all of those attempts have uh, seemed to fall on, on ears that willingly are not hearing us. Yeah. I think the most important thing to remember it is that the union is the group of employees who have come together to form 
a body which asks for things in a contract. So when you're talking about Amazon union, you're talking about the workers at Amazon. When you're talking about an Audubon union, you're talking about the workers at Audubon. That means that our bird union is made up of educators, communicators, people working in policy, people working on the ground, people working in science, design, art. It's just a group of bird nerds who want to bargain for a better work life. That's all a union is. It's simple. Yeah, it is simple. I I think you guys have made it about as simple as it could be for anybody who wants to voluntarily recognize it. (laughs) Uh, Well, this is all very informative and super uh, useful information. Is there anything else that you guys would want to add at all that we didn't cover that you want to get on there for all the bird shit listeners? I would just love to reiterate that we are doing this because we love our jobs. We love our coworkers. We want the workplace to be better for everyone. There is no reason for people to be talking about no longer donating to Audubon because they won't recognize our union. We are trying to work with management. We are trying to work with each other to make our workplace better for everyone. Yeah. I mean, you definitely don't want people like pulling the donations from Audubon to make it in a situation where leadership can have more authority to make choices that you guys don't yet have an official say in. Like that seems like the opposite effect that we are going for here. So um, yeah, that's, that's a really good point is regardless of where you guys are at in this process legally, like you're still doing what's best for the organization and the funds that people give to you right now are going to go towards helping the people that are on the ground doing the work and probably running the activities that we all take advantage of and use every day. All I can offer to that is a verbal retweet. Awesome. Well, it was so great to have you both here. Thanks, everyone. Thanks to Sharon and Taiki for joining us. Um, if you want to support Audubon for All, we highly encourage you to visit them on their Instagram or Twitter at Audubon for All and sign their petition. You can tweet at Audubon Society and make it clear where you stand and that you support the union. Outside pressure is going to play a key role in getting leadership to understand how much the burden community stands behind the hardworking staff at the Audubon Society. We also continue to encourage people to donate to the Audubon Society. Even if the leadership situation is pretty shitty right now, your donations do make it possible for on-the-ground staff programs and conservation efforts to exist at this organization. Pulling back funds could make things harder for the nonprofit and jeopardize the remaining employees working to make the world a better place for birds and those people who love them. So thank you again for listening. Just a reminder to keep your eyes to the skies. 